AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is presenting his testimony to lawmakers today and tomorrow. What he says will give more clues on what to expect from the Federal Reserve in the months ahead. And USDA gets an about time on a change it initiated on the rules determining what beef is actually a product of the USA. Live from a proudly confirmed product of the USA via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with Dr. Vince Malanga from LaSalle Economics. Then it's a conversation with Justin Tupper from the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Yes, definitely a product of the USA right For sure. here. Can confirm. AgriTalk. You betcha. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, thank you for joining us here this morning. Davis, Huh? still just hints of sunlight, just hints. Oh, man. Yeah, and now I'm glad to be getting out of town before the end of the week mm-hmm. because we've, we're we back in the target for uh, – I got a feeling by the time I get back from from Orlando, there's there's going to be snow on the ground here. We don't have anything right now. I don't want to come back to that. Well, and the thing is, the last time you traveled, there was a whole thing in getting yeah. back. You know, yeah. once once you leave uh-huh. the uh, the zone, yep. boy, there's no telling when you might be back. Exactly. Just keep that in mind, okay? Wink, wink. <laughs> if, uh, you know, if hey, if I'm forced to stay in, in Florida for a little while longer while yep. the Midwest uh, digs out from a storm... I'm just a heads up. That might happen. There's worse might things. Happen. There's worse yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, boy, an important week for the Federal Reserve. I haven't seen any of the uh, the testimony from Jay Powell on the on the Hill yet, but I think it's pretty much guaranteed that members of both parties are just going to rake this guy over the coals when it comes to the handling of the economy and the 2% target on inflation and letting inflation get too far of a head start, too much of a running start before trying to, to gain some control. Uh, that's going to be, it's going to be a tough couple of days, I think for Mr. Powell. Uh, we'll get, we'll get a take on that from Vince Malanga at LaSalle economics. And then, yeah, product of the USA label, the rule has been changed. We'll talk about exactly what that means for the industry. Justin Tupper, U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Looking forward to that as well. All right, let's get to the news. What do you got? Well, Chip, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office Monday requested technical consultations with the government of Mexico under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement aimed at Mexico's ban on GMO corn. Trade Representative Catherine Tai says, quote, Mexico's policies threaten to disrupt billions of dollars in agricultural trade They will stifle the innovation that is necessary to tackle the climate crisis and food security challenges if left unaddressed. 
Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack added this, quote, these consultations represent the next step in addressing the United States' concerns with Mexico's biotechnology policies. Chip? Yeah, and, and biotech trade has been in place for so long, and the the Mexi- end users in Mexico for feed in particular, it's a product that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, that's See, we keep, I keep seeing on social media, who are we to tell them what they can and can't buy? They can buy non-GMO. They can buy GM. They hey, We're just saying don't put the ban on it because there's no scientific evidence mm-hmm. to prevent the use of, of GMO or traded corn out there. If they want the non-GMO, get the contracts for it and get it in place. There's one other thing here. They do a really nice job in Mexico of growing white corn. For the first time, I don't know if it's the first time, but they have an excess of white corn right now. Mm-hmm. That could be that could have something to do with saying uh-huh. we're not going to bring any white corn in from the U.S. No. Well, Chip, China imported 16.17 million metric tons of soybeans during the first two months of the year. That's up 16.1% from the same period last year and the most ever. For January and February combined, importers actively took delivery of soybeans from the U.S. during the first two months of the year amid Brazilian soybean harvest delays. China's foreign minister warned Tuesday that the U.S. and China are heading for, quote, conflict and confrontation unless Washington changes its approach toward Beijing. That's the latest sign that tensions continue to mount between the world's two largest economies, after President Xi Jinping rebuked U.S. policy Monday, saying Western countries led by the U.S. have implemented, quote, all-around containment, encirclement, and suppression against us, this according to Chinese state media. That's not like him to play the victim, is it? Uh, yeah, really, yeah. yeah. Uh, containment, encirclement, and suppression. Wow. Yeah. This is strong charges. USDA yesterday released a proposed rule with new regulatory requirements to the Voluntary Product of USA label. The proposed rule allows the Voluntary Product of USA or Made in the USA label claim to be used on meat, poultry, and egg products only when they are derived from animals born, raised, slaughtered, and processed in the United States. Yeah, we've got Justin coming, Justin Tupper coming up here in just a little bit. We're going to get into the details of all of that well chip the biden administration is stepping up scrutiny of competition in the seed industry announcing plans for a working group including the justice department to improve market fairness the four largest companies currently control 95 percent of patents and other protected intellectual property for corn seeds that's up from 41 percent in 1990 President Volodymyr Zelensky said last night that Ukraine will not retreat from Bakhmut, even though Russian forces have nearly surrounded it. Ukraine's top generals have vowed to keep defending the eastern city as Russian forces fight to tighten their siege. Yeah, hey, Davis, Mm -hmm. does it feel like they're, I mean, the the aggression seems to be stepped up again, doesn't it? It does. It really does. Okay. Um, it's, uh, It's that time of the year, I guess, when when um, we're going to have to figure out exactly what the U.S. role going forward is going to be because there's more and more confusion over that as well, I think, within Congress. Well, Cargill Inc. says rising grain exports from Ukraine are sparking optimism that a deal Mm -hmm. to keep ships sailing via the Black Sea will be renewed. 
The increase in Ukraine's shipments of corn, wheat, and barley is reportedly helping push down world food costs. Yeah, and that's been part of the goal the whole time with opening up that that uh, that the the seaway from the mm-hmm. Black Sea to make sure that the global costs don't get out of control. Well, and finally, Chip here, French unions reportedly plan to bring the country to a standstill in a sixth day of protests against President Emmanuel Macron's plan to raise the minimum retirement age with strikes yeah. expected to cause severe disruption to transport. Yeah, it, not happy. Not happy at no. all in France. And look at the protests that are happening uh, with the Dutch farmers. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yep. Uh, just shutting down activity in some of the cities, and for good reason, if you ask me. I mean, they're looking at at reducing nitrogen use in in uh, on Dutch farms. It's silly. Just by just by simply taking land out of production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do they understand that we need the land to make the food to make us happy? Do you think they've connected those dots, Davis? I I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. How could they not have? Is I my don't thing. Know. How could they we've not? Got Dr. We've got Dr. Vince Malanga, LaSalle Economics, coming up next here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins... Join us at 855-4-TALK-AG. All right. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, is before Congress the next two days. Uh, He is going to be challenged by members of both parties over his efforts to contain inflation. Uh, let's let's get uh, a primer on what we should expect to hear from Powell and what it might mean for interest rate policies going forward. Dr. Vince Malanga, president of LaSalle Economics out of New York, joins us now. Vince, it's good to talk with you again. How are you? Good, Chip. How are you? Doing just fine. Just fine. So what do you expect to hear from Powell? Well, I think we're hearing from uh, Powell that they expect to uh, continue to raise interest rates. I think the only uh, the only uncertainty in their minds uh, is the speed at which we at which they do so, and ultimately how high the rate has to go uh, before they achieve their goals. Uh, and their principal goal, of course, is to bring the inflation rate down uh, on a sustainably two percent course. Okay. Okay, so that's what we're hearing from him. 
what would you like to hear from him, or is there no difference? Well, what I would like to hear from him is something that he continues to shy away from, uh, and that's two things. Number one, you know, of course, their primary tool uh, to combat inflation is raising interest rates and, uh, and, and changing the balance sheet, which they have been doing. Uh, but I continue to be distressed that the Fed chair refuses to acknowledge the fact uh, that deficit spending has been humongous yeah. over the past couple of years, that it's been a contributor to inflation, uh, and it's necessary for the Congress to deal with the, the fiscal side of the ledger so as to give the Fed some help uh, in bringing down inflation. And they can do so by getting control over the budget process, and by expanding the supply side of the economy. That would take some guts to stand up there on Capitol Hill and tell Congress, who thinks the, that, that you reacted too slowly to get inflation under control, to, say, to look at them and say, listen, you can play a part in this too, just quit spending too dang much money. Well, it takes guts, and that's probably why we're not going to hear it. But, you know, if you go back in time, uh, other Federal Reserve chairmen uh, have had no problem uh, lambasting Congress yep. uh, for excessive spending. You can go back to the Bulker years. You can go back to the Greenspan years. Yeah. Uh, and even Bernanke when he was yep. Fed chairman. Even that's Janet right. Yellen, for that matter, whose budget is going to come out on Thursday and look horrendous. Uh, was someone who was not averse uh, to telling Congress to get cons- uh, spending under control. How much attention should we pay to that budget when it's released, Vince? Uh, none. Uh, you know, the CBO published a budget outlook uh, last week in the middle of February, which showed that even with full employment uh, and continued economic growth, we're going to run tr- trillion-plus uh, budget deficits going out for the next 10 years and consequently massively increasing the amount of debt. I think the Biden budget, when it comes out on Thursday, will say, no problem, we're just going to raise taxes. Yep. And, uh, you know, with a Republican-led House of Representatives, the chances of that are zero. Uh, and so as a result, uh, we're going to spend the next six to nine months uh, acrimoniously debating how big a budget deficit we want. Okay. Uh, Another thing that you said that you would like to hear him talk more about is changing the balance sheet. What exactly does that mean? Well, of course, you know, if you go back to 2010, from 2010 to 2022, the Fed was continuously adding to the balance sheet by purchasing government securities uh, in the open market and facilitating uh, the deficit and spending process. In the last year, the Fed has been reducing the size of its balance sheet, meaning that they have securities on the balance sheet, and as they as they mature, they're not being replaced. And so, as as a result, the asset side of their balance sheet is being reduced. So far, you know, the 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 balance sheet topped out at something on the order of nine trillion. And about right now, it's probably down to about eight hundred and twenty, eight hundred and eight hundred eight point two trillion, uh, and they want to get it down further. Okay, what does all this mean for the money supply in the country? 
Well, the money supply has been declining. You know, in uh, in 2022, the money supply, the M2 money supply fell by 1.3 percent, which is the first yearly decline in the money supply we've had since 1938. Uh, and the money supply in this thus far this year is continuing to show uh, weakness. Now, as we know from our friend Milton Friedman, who must be turning over in his grave, uh, that monetary policy affects the economy with long and variable lags. And the excess money growth that we had in 2020 and the early part of 2021 gave us the inflation. And now the reduction in money growth is going to control inflation. It's not going to be on. It's not going to be easy, uh, and it's probably going to hit with a vengeance this summer. Ooh, okay. What exactly do you mean by that? Hit with a vengeance this summer in in a slowdown in the economy. Well, I think when you look at all the leading indicators of the economy, whether it be money supply, whether it be loan demand, uh, which is getting restrictive, uh, whether it be the index of leading economic indicators. Uh, whether it be the inverted interest rate yield curve, they're all pointing in that direction. And a purely monetarist model would suggest uh, that last year's weakness in the money supply should show up uh, in weakness in economic activity this summer. Mm-hmm. So what does all this mean for the March 21-22 FOMC meeting and, and, and the Fed action? <laughs> Well, I think we have two key key pieces of data uh, in front of us. Uh, number one, of course, is this Friday when the labor market report for February uh, is released, and the following Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, when the producer price index and the consumer price index for February are released. So, I think much will depend on those uh, on the out, you know, on on those date on those data reports. My own bias is that the Fed will probably raise rates by 25 basis points uh, at the March meeting uh, because I'm looking for moderation in the indicators and in the inflation numbers in here. But even if they just raise by 25, it's not the last one. They'll probably go at least one more uh, before the evidence before the, and hope that the weakness shows up uh, such that they can stop. Uh, but I think the market is coming to believe that they probably have uh, three more 25s in front of them here. Okay. So the landing for the economy, is it is it still a rough landing or is there a chance at a soft landing? Well, I think the risk here is that the Fed overdoes it. Uh, and yep. so I think that yep. the, the risk, as the Fed keeps raising rates, the risk rises that we're in for a rough landing. I think I, I'm not so convinced of that. I think the landing can be soft. Uh, we need a couple of breaks in here. It's not going to be painless. Uh, we're get, we need to see some weakness in the labor market. I think the housing market is very weak, and I think the next thing to roll over is the con- commercial construction market. And I'm hopeful uh, that that can give us enough weakness and enough reduction in price pressure uh, to get us through this, so we can sort of land this thing at about a five and a half percent federal funds rate, uh, and a slowdown in the inflation rate toward about three percent by the summer. Okay, all right. Only got about a minute and a half left, but I've had some listeners ask for your opinion on what's going on in the land market. Where do you see it going, farmland market? Well, I'm a little bit encouraged by the commodity markets generally. They've certainly been better behaved. 
uh, in here. And we did not get the spike in commodities that everybody was fearing because of the reopening of the China economy. I'm hopeful that we get some uh, good weather for a change in here to help on the agricultural side. My bias is that the land market is somewhat overdone. It's got, it can't be, it can't be impervious to the cost of money these days. And so I think if we get good harvests and we see some moderation uh, in grain and animal prices, uh, that those interest rate hikes will loom more uh, significant and give us some cooling in the uh, in the land market. Yeah, it's still a revenue. It, it's still a revenue driven market, though, isn't it? No question about it. I mean, I think, but I think the cost of money uh, is going to become more important uh, in here. Okay. All right, Vince. Hey, you know I always appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much, buddy. Appreciate it. Okay, Chip. Have a good day. You too. You too. That is Dr. Vince Malanga, President LaSalle Economics. Geez, Davis, when he was talking about uh, some rough times coming up this summer, I got a little worried there. But I, I think he backed off just a touch on that. A little bit. Just a touch yeah. on that when he saw the uh, the the chance for a soft landing in here. Mm-hmm. That's what so, you've been looking for. Yeah. Well, I, it, it's hard to ignore some of the evidence that is out there that, that things are slowing down. I, I don't think there's any question. We just need to see the Fed respond to that and slow down their actions. All right. We got Justin Tupper next. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beach, as opposed to yesterday, we've kind of got some consensus in the grain markets today. It's just too bad that the consensus is to the downside. Yeah, uh, somewhat, Chip. I mean, yeah, somewhat. Uh, you know. Uh, soybeans are weaker. Uh, the front end of the meal market is weaker. So they, they both uh, traded sharply higher yesterday. And, and so we're pulling back some there. And, and really all we've done is, uh, um, you know, basically erase yesterday's gains in the okay. uh, the meal mar- or in the, uh, the soybean market. So a um, little bit of a weaker tone in corn as well, because those two markets are softer this morning. Uh, soy oil trading sharply lower. Sharply. Uh, the crude oil market's uh, down sharply and, and uh, that's having an influence on soy oil. Winter wheat markets, uh, they took an absolute beating yesterday and uh, bouncing back just a little bit. I mean, when you look at it on the the daily chart, uh, it's just a a portion of what was lost, but uh, still seeing a little bit of corrective buying. And then spring wheat futures are under pressure. So, um, you know, keep in mind, we have USDA's reports coming up tomorrow. And and so there's some pre-report positioning there. Uh, Really, uh, nothing has changed fundamentally. Um, But the outside markets are negative this morning. 
Gotcha. All right. Let's go on over to the livestock trade. What's going on there? Uh, you know, not a whole lot, to be honest with you. Uh, the feeder cattle, they're narrowly mixed here at mid-morning and uh, kind of keeping an eye on that uh, corn market that isn't doing a whole lot at the moment. Uh, live cattle futures, uh, they showed some strength yesterday, but uh, we anticipate that there will be a lengthy wait for cash cattle trade again this week. And as a result, we're seeing a little bit of a pullback on, on some corrective selling this morning, but nothing major by any means. And then the hog market, uh, April futures are, are trading a little bit to the upside, but uh, the back end of the market is under pressure all right brian thank you so much that is pro farmer editor brian grady on markets now opinions expressed on agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of farm journal broadcasting affiliate stations or sponsors on your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device agritalk is live every weekday Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Davis Michelson is with us. Great conversation there with Vince on, on some yeah. things to look for and and indicators to watch. Uh, Justin Tupper is the president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. He joins us right now from South Dakota. Justin, how are you today? Very good, Chip. Thanks for having me on. Yep, glad you're here. How's the weather up there? How's the cow-calf guys handling it? Well, we're calving some heifers. It's uh, been a little bit of a challenge, but uh, uh, if it was easy, everybody'd want to do. It. Isn't that the same? <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Not only that, <laughs> even if they can't do it, they still want to tell you how to do it. So you know, you've got that going for you. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> All right. So cattlemen got some news that they've been waiting for. The product of the USA label got a, I'll call it a much needed upgrade. Uh, what's your take? How does first, first, first remind us what, uh, could be labeled as a product of the USA prior to this change? Sure. So U S cattlemen clear back in 2019 asked for this loophole to be closed up. Now keep in mind, labeling is voluntary and what was going on. And we had seen many instances of this. They were able to bring in product from another country, bring it to the United States, repackage it, and then label it product to the USA. We clearly felt that this was a disservice to the producer, an absolute disservice to the consumer, and it could be a food safety issue by not knowing where it comes from. So clear back in 2019, we petitioned USDA to make some changes. Uh, Finally, yesterday, uh, we saw some rulemaking on that. We we believe it's real progress, even though it's a little late. We think it's real progress uh, to close that loophole up and uh, uh, make sure that at least if they're going to put a product label on it and yep. call it product to the USA, it has to be just that product to the USA. Okay. What was the product that was being brought in, repackaged, trimmed, recut, and then labeled as a product of the USA? I mean, was it mostly trim? Was it whole muscle? What was it? You know, it could have been anything. What we know of, what we saw instances of, was a lot of trim uh, being changed uh, in in repackaged. But it could have been whole muscle. All the the way that they, they interpreted the rule before was, if it got repackaged in any way here in the United States, then it could be labeled product of the USA. And 
And uh, th- that was definitely a deception. And it was a, something that the Packers could use to their advantage to buy cheaper product uh, across the waters, wherever that may be, and bring it here and, and make money by repackaging it and, and putting it on the backs of the American producer and calling it product of the USA. Okay. Um, the, the, one, the, the one requirement on this that I was watching for was the born. Uh, if the product has to be born, raised, slaughtered, I like the raised. I like the slaughtered, and and I think the born is, you know, I I, I guess I don't have a, a strong feeling one way or the other on it, but I think it does open us up to some potential conflict with our friends to the north that send some feeder cattle this way. Well, and our friends to the south that send feeder cattle up from Mexico, doesn't it? <laughs> I do. I, I think there's, you know, some of those issues are going to have to be worked out. Yeah. But the, the clear and consensus point to this uh, rule is that it has to be a product of the USA to be labeled product of the USA. Now, yeah. no doubt in my country up here in the north, uh, there are cattle go to Canada and get fed and come back and get slaughtered. And the way I understand the, the rule, that would not be able to be able labeled product of the USA. Right. We know the WTO rule is uh, that that's a whole nother can of worms, but there's uh, a lot of those cattle that go back and forth, especially across the northern border yeah. that that I think is a non-issue. They have high health protocols. They definitely uh, have the same standards in the slaughter industry as we do, if not higher. And And so I think when we look at the issues of where does the issue come in? especially when it falls to the WTO. We have no issues to the north. We have some issues uh, to the south with mm-hmm. whether it be health protocols, whether it be uh, quality pro- protocols. Uh, there's some different issues there. But that's that's a talk for another six-hour show, Chip. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Okay, so it's a voluntary label. Uh, so how do meat packers deal with this going forward, Justin? Do they just take the label off of everything? Well, they quit being able to make money on the backs of American producers using our good name to sell Brazilian or or whatever country it comes from. So th- there are branded programs out there right now that are successfully using uh, the product of the USA label and doing it exactly how it should be. Cattle that were born, raised and slaughtered right here in the United States. And they're using that as a branded program to uh sell their product and and they've been able to do that and they'll continue to be able to do that they just absolutely won't be able to uh uh, make the extra several however many dollars that they make from bringing the product in from another country cheap and then uh putting our label on it and and marking it up do you should if it carries that uh product to the usa and and this is this boy this is a very subjective uh, question for me to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Should it carry a premium price? You know, I think ultimately that's up to the consumer. And yeah. I think as a producer and, a, and as a U.S. cattleman, I think we want to produce the highest quality, safest protein in the world. And we do that. And I think we want to make sure we protect that. My uh, my belief is that uh, the, the consumer will pick that. And, and that's where we when we get into the talk about the northern cattle uh, up in Canada and we talk about quality and price and all those things, they're equal. And, and I think that uh, if, if we were labeled, everything was labeled, product to USA, product to Canada, product to Mexico, product to Brazil, then the consumer okay. would have a choice. 
Okay. Um, so there's where it's different than mandatory cool, right? That, for sure. It's, okay. it's definitely not at all mandatory. This is all voluntary, but at least they, they can't use the voluntary program against us. Okay, I got you. Do you hope that this is a launching pad to get to M Cool and, and bring some form of that back? Well, I do, and I think it really gives us legs. You know, I've had uh, uh, several interviews and talking to people that said, you mean that we were buying a product that says product of the USA that might not have been a product of the USA? And I said, absolutely, that's what I mean. That's absolutely what was happening. And and there's a lot of disbelief. And I'm talking about media outlets like Reuters and Bloomberg and some yeah. of those that uh, maybe we open the eyes to there's a reason that we want to label this beef, not to be uh, isolationists or, or because we think uh, we're trying to root out the competition, but because we want to believe that it's safe. We want our consumers to believe it's safe and we want them to have a quality product. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and if a consumer is fine with Brazilian beef, put a label on it and see how well it sells, right? Well, and that, that's a topic of Brazilian beef. I mean, well, uh, I was, we've called That's why for... I wanted to go there. <laughs> I knew you would, Chip. I, <laughs> you know, U.S. Cattlemen's, we have called for an immediate halt. We've called upon the secretary. I got breaking news for you. All okay. three cattle groups, NCBA, RCAF, and U.S. Cattlemen, are calling for the halt of Brazilian beef. Yep. Now, if that's not news to the secretary, and, and uh, I've been uh, really working hard to try to find the places where we could be in a consensus in this industry, and we've got one. Yep. And uh, we're going to put a lot of pressure on the secretary. And if that doesn't work, we're going to put a lot of pressure on Congress. Brazil has been a known bad actor for years. Mm -hmm. They have been caught in this atypical case, which we have to be careful because we've had atypical cases. Yeah. But they didn't report it on time. They don't play by the same rules as us. So we have no idea the transparency that's going on. They've been caught in child labor laws here in the States and in Brazil. They've been depopulating rainforest. They give every reason to make sure that we don't take any Brazilian beef, whether it be in boxes or live or any other way. And, and we just haven't acted on it. And, and again, we're not asking to be isolationists. If they want to play by the same rules as us, that's fine. But if yep. they don't, then there has to be action. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think everybody's in agreement on this one, that, that Brazilian beef needs to stay out for now, at least for now. Okay, I try to keep up with with what's going on on social media, Justin. I think you do too. And there has been some give and take on the store bought versus the direct from producer beef out there. What bothers me about this is not the direct from from producer beef group supporting their product. It's that they're ripping on the quality of store bought beef to make their case. What's your reaction and, and when I, you see this? No, I I totally agree with you. And and I and I've been a concern about this since the big fad winch you know we, we've talked about it lots of times when we yep. butcher our own beef here you can you can butcher one that's probably we never butcher the best one of our own it's the bottom end of our cattle that's what we keep around and butcher and it's very good but we feed it longer and there's a lot of factors that go into that my concern with all this is that what about when these consumers that buy from a farm fresh however they yep. do it and and they get one that's not good they get a and, bad and, one. And what are we, yeah. Yep. What are we doing then? And the guy is trying to make money, not feeding them long enough, not doing the things that we believe are right. At least with the store-bought 
and and I'm not going to argue. It's way better if you butcher your own. That's mm-hmm. that's not even an argument, but you get a consistent quality. I think when you go through the store bought and they know what they're going to get. And I, I, I think that's important. I think, uh, we have to be very careful with some of these, uh, guys out here that are trying to make a profit. And anytime there's money be made, you know how that is. Somebody's trying to try to exploit it and, and take yep. it to their advantage. Yep. Good comments, Justin, man. Really good. Really good. Thanks buddy. I appreciate you. Good luck with the cabin season up there. Okay. Hey, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. And uh, uh, we love it when we can bring a little bit of good news or something yeah. good that's happened. We appreciate <laughs> no doubt. That. Justin Tupper, President, USCA. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. You got to have an ace in the hole. And welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate you. Your pal Davis Michelson here with Chip Flory. Uh, a couple great conversations right there, yeah. Chip, to start off the day. Important, important um, conversations. Let's start with our conversation with Dr. Vince Malanga. Mm-hmm. LaSalle Economics. Uh, Dr. Vince is great. Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell will appear today before the Senate Banking Committee and before the House Financial Services Committee tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a couple of things I want to ask you about the conversation with Vince, but uh, the Fed Chair refuses to say deficit spending is contributing to inflation then says that takes guts and that's probably why we won't hear him say that before (laughs) congress he's gonna have two opportunities to say put away the checkbook just put down the pen yep so when i asked him what are we going to hear versus what you would like to hear Uh that that what you would like to hear is when he brought up deficit spending is contributing is contributing to the uh and I shouldn't say just deficit spending, uh, out of control deficit spending, is contributing to the rate of inflation in the country. Uh, so therefore, Congress, like you just said, put the checkbook away for a while. Let, let's let get this under control. Give me a hand. Um, wouldn't it be something if he would say that? And, and uh, it, you know, the it's the old Humphrey Hawkins testimony is what it is. And I'm I'm. I love watching it because at at some point, at some point, a lawmaker is going to say to 
Secretary or to uh, Chairman Powell is going to say, listen, you need to do two things. You need to get inflation under control and you need to stop raising interest rates. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's his opportunity to say, oh, if that's what you want, you need to quit spending money. And I if if he's if he says it, I'll I'll be impressed. I just don't think he will. Well, now is and he, and he should, there, because there's a window here. There's all kinds of talk about budgeting, and I don't know if the, if it's got implications well, for the, the farm debt bill or not. Yeah. But the debt ceiling and all this sort of stuff is out there, floating around, and mm-hmm. you know nobody seems to want to just tackle it head on. Somebody's got to stand up right. and say, "Hey, man, something's got to be done here. It's the perfect and it's time." It's been done in the past. Greenspan, Volker. And as I didn't know if Vince was going to include Bernanke in that list mm-hmm. uh, or not, and he did. And then he went even further and included Yellen in yeah. the list of uh, of Fed chairs that have kind of slapped the wrist of Congress and said, you'd make my job a whole lot easier if you'd quit spending so dang much money. Mm-hmm. But then she turns around in her current position <laughs> as, as Secretary of the Treasury and says, hold my beer. Watch this right. budget. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, shoot, if you can't beat him, join him, right? Evidently. I mean, Evidently. I hate to be facetious about something like that, but dang. Yeah. Um, he's in, Vince was uh, encouraged by commodities. He said something. Up, he said, yeah. quote, Commodities have been better behaved than expected as China reopened. What did he mean by better behaved? Okay, volatility has come out of the market. Okay. So that's basically the bottom line there as China has reopened. In other words, remember the big economic surge that we had in the U.S. here when we reopened and and, uh, uh, what happened to commodity prices. I mean, we we had the big surge to the upside. there were some other factors involved in that, I know. But as the Chinese economy it has reopened, that surge really hasn't happened yet. And you, I've talked about it for months now, at least three months, that that's one thing that's got me concerned about the, the impact of the Chinese economy on the global economy and the potential ripples back into the U.S., uh, putting some some uh, some fuel on the inflation fire. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk ripples in the cattle industry, and I'm thinking about beef demand. Okay. Um, if we've got tightening herd supplies, tightening yeah. herds, herds are herds are shrinking or have yes. been shrinking. Inventory. Um, we're potentially looking at a hole here. Now we're proposing, will the consumer pay more for a label that says made made in the USA, a product mm-hmm. of the USA mm-hmm. um, that they can trust? Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't seem like the right time to be adding premium to beef. Kind dude. of separating the classes, aren't you? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, absolutely. At a time when, you know, you know when I go to the grocery store, I see the young couples with a couple of kids that have uh-huh. got a grocery cart full. I mean, they're stocking up for the month or longer. Yep. I get yep. that. I get 
But I see that and I just think, oh my gosh, how do you, how do you handle it when how do you get by? How do you get by? Well, uh, protein is is a very important component on everyone's table, and the uh, putting putting any kind of labeling into the system right now that runs the risk of of I shouldn't say runs the risk that has the potential to raise the price of one source of meat over another source of meat and causing that that class differentiation is is a little troubling to me this is one of those cases we were talking about it during the break mm-hmm. and it's hard to put into words yeah. But this is one of those cases that if you're a cattle producer, seems like you've got one clear vision of this. If it's born in the U.S., raised in the U.S., fed in the U.S., slaughtered, put a born in the U.S. or put a made in the U.S.A. label on it. Yep. From a consumer's point of view, yeah, I want to know that my product is safe. And right. if it makes it better that that Canadian slaughtered beef was brought into the U.S. and reinspected by a USDA plant before making it to a U.S. meat case, yeah. that matters to me. That matters to me. So how do we how do we get over those hurdles? Boy, I tell you what, lots of moving parts. Lots Indeed. of moving parts. Thanks for listening this morning, this afternoon. Terry Lynn from the Lynn Group right here on AgriTalk. <laughs>